0: Attention, golfers, if you're looking to upgrade your game with a set of high-quality clubs that are blazing fast beyond forgiving and beautifully made, check out the all-new PXG Gen 6 golf clubs. Not only are they easy to hit, they deliver outstanding distance and incredible accuracy, lowering your scores and bringing you more fun on the golf course. What more could you want? Schedule your Gen 6 fitting today at pxg.com or by calling 844-PLAY-PXG and we're back stripe show podcast on a friday hope you're having a good week special one here today i promised and we're going to deliver usually instructions on a thursday but it's busy folks everybody is busy i can tell you in the studio lessons are good pxg club fitting is good we had an event in here last night team building it's good Everybody's thinking golf, loving golf, and of course, the, the PGA Tour is playing right up the road here, Hilton Head, Harbor Town. and um, another elevated event. One of the guys uh, that's not there is uh, Wills Al Torres and of course, he uh, is going to have some surgery on his back, and we've been talking a lot about his swing in the side bin. We talked about Joaquin Neiman and Sam Bennett at the Masters. I was getting, getting a lot of feedback. I mean, a lot of DMs and emails and texts and phone calls and smoke signal. I mean, all these ways that we can communicate, right? Uh, so everyone's interested in, in what we're seeing with some of these patterns. So I reached out to uh, a guy that uh, knows a hell of a lot more than I do when it comes to, um, you know, movement, and what that means to your body he joins me. He's actually here in Florida. Mark Bull. how you doing?
1: Good morning, Travis. All good. How you doing?
0: I, I'm good. I appreciate your time uh, today because I'm really looking for this. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this podcast. Um, it's something that I've been talking a lot about. I had Dr. Greg Rose on a couple months ago before Will went down and some of the things that they're trying to do with his swing to protect his back. You know, in an era, Mark, of of you know, speed, right? And it seems this flex lead wrist and and rotate, face stabilization. Um, you know, we're seeing some swings that I think to the human eye look perhaps a little bit different to maybe uh, the novice, right? They look at like a Will Zao Taurus and they see this spine really hanging back to the right. They look at a, a Sam Bennett at the master's And they, I mean, I can't even put my body in these positions, you know, like in the way that he's like down here and looking and they're like, my God, his back's going to break. There's no way he's going to see 30 years of age. When you kind of look at this as a whole, and we're going to break this down individually as we go. But when you look at this as a whole and what's happening in modern instruction, are are there any concerns and red flags for you as a, as a movement specialist uh, in the game of golf?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a hugely um, expansive question there, Travis. I think you and I could spend hours trying to ping through that stuff. And I think um, it's a kind of place to start. I think what's been lost a little bit in golf is some context, which is, I think, be hugely removed from a lot of um, uh, these kind of discussions and, and maybe some kind of guidance that players and I've been exposed to. I think um, the thing with pain, I mean, if you look at pain, as a very kind of day one approach. So this is kind of like the day one kind of, entry-level approach you know, pain is normally a kind of a five-year process we go through so for me to get pain on a friday morning as it is today goes back to stuff i did five or six ten years ago perhaps maybe as a younger player so even to kind of look at me as an example i have a, a very historical bad right shoulder which i'm still kind of trying to understand now as a 48 year old uh so mm-hmm. what happened as a 15 year old when i watched those led better videos back in the late 80s is most of my generation back in england watching Nick Fowler, that kind of stuff. That's what I learned to play. So I'm still trying to understand my shoulder. And that goes back to 35 years ago now for me. So when you look at pain, as a, a very loose, you know, very generic kind of day one approach to really what you experience today often goes back to what happened five years ago. So often while you now start seeing certain players that may now be exposed to, to pain, irritation, um, and in the, the real sad cases where they can't perform for a period of time it's just that kind of five year cycle that they, they hit a shot on that Monday morning oh that kind of hurt and I wonder what happened and what just happened then but that was in essence when the body went Do you know what stop that's enough going to no more mm-hmm. I'm kind of done moving that way so I think um, it, it's a real kind of it's a very complex area of pain and even when you look at pain and this is where it gets real fun um, you can get um, the same movement and this is where I say even 3D has become very unhelpful as in 3D motion capture for example as a pain predictor but I'd add a caveat to this at the end um, that looking at ranges that players move through are actually a very poor representation of um, possible potential pain markers and I'll kind of expand on that then add a caveat to this at the end of it but really what controls pain on a huge level aside from someone's perception of pain and you know, what's an irritation to one is nothing more than a, a whatever to someone else. they have is What you call sensitivity, resilience and tolerance. Some people, Travis, are just more tolerant, uh, more resilient and less sensitive to certain movements. That's on a very kind of neurological and anatomical observation. So their tissues, their, their joint architecture, their nervous system, for example, can tolerate certain movements more are less centered to certain movements more and are more resilient to certain movements. Then you get some players that will go through smaller ranges, almost, you know, let's just say in a very fun way, half the range is an example of what other players go through and have been exposed to pain for, for example, you know, a a large percentage of their playing career. Why? Because they're not very resilient. Again, not on on a spiritual, emotional understanding, more just their tissue types and their joint architectures. They're not very resilient, they're not very tolerant, and they're very sensitive to some movement. So that's where, when you have these kind of 3D ranges saying, well, if, you, if you're within these ranges, that's considered somewhat healthy. Now, that is a very um, hmm. challenging approach today. Why? Because some guys can go through tremendous ranges and never experience pain. But then the caveat being, we know you say, for example, guys that kind of move the wrist that way in transition. Um, not every player moves that way, For sorry, in, in view of the camera. Not every player moves that way in transition experiences wrist pain. However, every player that I know has experienced wrist pain has moved that way in transition. Why? Because they are not very resilient, they're not very tolerant, and they're very sensitive to kind of moving that way. Hmm. So I think before anyone can start to say encourage, if you look at golf, I mean, just say the last 10 years, for we'll keep it fairly light today, every year has its thing. You know, every year golf has this year's thing is X. Is it speed? Yeah. Is it launch monitors? Is it 3D? Is it club kinetics? You know, what is it? Every year has its thing. And it may well be that's just kind of this year's thing because it's, it's just where golf sat this year. And um, so I think when you look at, say, um, all these approaches, it doesn't matter what the approach is. You know, initially, before you can understand the movement, you need to understand the human you're actually dealing with. What, what's their movement history? What's their coaching history? What's their training history? What's their belief systems, for example? So, before you get into any kind of, um, you know, uh, golf um, um, movement approaches or movement philosophies, unless you understand the human anatomically, physiologically, conceptually, that um, their that their their, their their joint architecture, their tissue behaviours, that kind of stuff, it's very hard to then really um, advise anyone, for example, on say a, a movement approach. So that's I think what's been lost in golf. We go straight to these approaches. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand that a human in some ways they're actually kind of working and trying to help and deal with.
0: Let me bring up a swing here. And this is I'm talking with Mark Bull. He's uh, at Bull 3D Academy. And I, uh, I got some swings here loaded it in. I want to, I just want to start with this one and, and, it, it and this is a pattern in the golf swing. And for those watching on my, on my YouTube, You can see Will on the screen. For those listening, I'll explain what's happening. And if you listen to the podcast, I've talked a lot about uh, Will's swing and Mark. This is this is a a pattern. Almost, I I I hate to say it, but I think like when we were younger, and we're about the same age, um, the golf swing was kind of taught like to to bump your hip laterally towards the target. And side bend, side bend to the right for a right-handed player would, would almost increase fairly early, right? And you would feel like your hips were, were kind of moving lateral out from underneath you, and your spine would be, lack of a better term, hanging back a little bit to the right. Um, and then, of course, you would rotate. And, and when you look at Will, when I look at this, is it this simple to say that, to me, his hips— are moving lateral to the right with his spine taking on some early side bend to the right. And that's a pattern that would have its, that's a pattern. And you look at that right there through the strike. That's a pattern, generally speaking, can cause some back pain.
1: Yeah, I've never met Zala Torres, you know, for accuracy. I really, I've never had any experience of him, so I can't obviously speak with accuracy around what he does. But certainly looking at the video there, that I think also, again, the idea of context, Travis, that, you know, you and I use very different equipment, different balls. We had to move differently back then to kind of make the equipment work. Sure. And so different now that players can move very differently because, in essence, in, in a very fun way, the kind of club does it for them. Um, so you look at, say, movement... Um, the, the, you know, the quality of movement, how well we had to move. I say, we, I never moved that great, but certainly, you know, my, you know, the, the Faldos, the the, the Sandy Lyles, the, the Greg Normans, the Sevies, the Woosoms, that kind of generation, wonderful movers. They had to move well because of the equipment they were using. So then, then you come back to someone like, you know, the example you shared here in Zanotaurus. I mean, I think and it really goes back to understanding what the spine likes, what the spine dislikes what the spine dislikes. Again, this then is always that, there's always that kind of love, the needle's always doing this. Um, what makes Alotoro such a wonderful player, possibly, perhaps, may also be at conflict with what his spine enjoys doing. And this is where it becomes so, such a, a wonderful challenge, to say, for his kind of coaching team there, that he obviously, you know, what a, one of the best players in the world the last three or four is I think he played Walker Cup in 2017's Adetour. So since he's turned pros since then, one of the best players on the planet could have won, you know, one two multiple major championships. So clearly a wonderfully, wonderfully um, uh, established player. Possibly how he moves in his goals, and then maybe just a comfort to what his spine enjoys doing. So when we look at the spine anatomy, what the lumbar spine in particular doesn't really enjoy doing is having tremendous amounts of lateral flexion. So the idea of kind of side bend, as it would be more informally kind of known in golf. And also there's minimal rotation through that lumbar spine at best. There's kind of one or two degrees of rotation available each kind of lumbar vertebrae. So really at best, you've got about 10 degrees of rotation in that kind of lumbar spine area. So when you've got these these, uh, these excessive amounts of lateral flexion or side bend, whilst that kind of lumbar spine is being taken through or certainly encouraged to move through large amounts of rotation, anatomically the lumbar spine just doesn't like that. That's, a re- that's very problematic um uh, very disruptive and a real conflict to just how it's designed to move so i think what you're now experiencing are these wonderful um conflicts around things like again the equipment we don't need to really move good anymore why because the club does it for us the whole world's obsessed with speed these days without really appreciate in how they move to produce speed so uh, you know I, I rarely meet anyone that says mark can you make me swing it slower <laughs> um, most, mo- most guys these days just, it's almost like it's kind of, you know, stamped on their kind of head as they walk in, give me clubhead speed. But they actually don't really, really understand why they need speed or more importantly, Travis, the, you know, um, the mechanisms behind speed already, how they move to produce. But that's been lost, I think, in recent years. That so actually, how do we need to move well to produce speed? It's just been about, can you swing it quicker? I mean, you've only got to look at, say, social media and meta guys that post, look at my club and ball speed. Yes, but look at how you moved to produce that. It's the kind of missing part of that discussion. Mm-hmm. And you look at the guys six months on, they're in a mess, they don't perform anymore, they haven't performed, they can't perform. In the very sad case of Zalotouris, and I really hope he gets back very soon because he's such a great player to watch Zalotouris. And um, yeah, these guys, unfortunately, can't move. And I'm not saying that's what Zalotouris does, but that's a very generic view of, of golf that these guys have lost now. Actually, mm-hmm. what's more important is how they move to produce speed rather than just speed itself. And um, so I think what you've now got is this this almost this wonderful collision of all these influences in recent years, the obsession with speed. And no one's dismissing that. Absolutely, I'm not not dismissing. Speed is so important these days. Um, We know that across every level. And I, for one, as someone that always is trying to encourage people to gain speed, but done in a very sustainable, ethical way, which is very, very different, perhaps. Um, the, the changes in equipment the demands of the game the length of the golf course perceived perception that everyone perceived distance to be that the number one mark and it was interesting I, I don't really look at social media too much i actually looked at a real um call clip from john daly yesterday so daly obviously was the longest player in his generation and it was interesting um that how he perceives golf is still around you know you know wedge play short game and putting mm-hmm. he's Sees that is the most important part of being a um, a very kind of advanced player on the PGA Tour. Now the guys that pitch it and uh, putt it, but you look at McIlroy last year as an example. Um, why did McIlroy have such a good season last year? His wedge play improved, um, and it was interesting that very famous um, story that with Deshambo. I think it was at the Players in 2022 that how Deshambo was a real um, disruptor to Rory. That Rory perceived he had to get longer to compete still, and it really disrupted him. Mm-hmm. He actually got. He actually performed better again last year. His wedge play got better again. So I think just these, all these, these influences have collided almost at the same time now. Equipment, perceived perception, the obsession with distance. Don't really need to move on well anymore now. Guys are now taking their bodies through ranges um, that anatomically they don't really have. There's been almost a, a, a dismissive approach to um, understanding how well you have to move. Um, to produce these kind of these speeds and i think then you just get guys that um again even coming into things like devices now which are used to, to encourage speed they don't have a training history uh, anatomically mm-hmm. the capacity in place to actually then uh, produce those forces and more importantly absorb these forces you know force absorption we talk about force production in golf so frequently and it's so important also force absorption from the moment of impact to finish is you know, point two of a second, whatever, you know, depending on the player, point one of a second in some cases. They're they're absorbing significant amounts of forces through that, through the the entire human system, um, in at such you know um, small amounts of time. So force absorption has been lost around some. So when you've got these guys that are now using devices without having the training history and not having the, the actual capacity to absorb these forces. This is why you now start learning many players that move poorly. Why? Because the obsession is just move that device quickly without really understanding how to move that device. Yeah. And also having a history in some ways they haven't earned the right. They haven't got the the right in some ways to just to start moving the devices fast without having that, the the, the training history, the movement history to actually then move these devices in a very ethical, very sustainable way.
0: Yeah. And, and you look at Will. So he had a, uh, a microdissectomy, which is a surgery to remove, you know, part or all of the bulging or damaged hernia disc in the lower spine, right? Which you're talking about right down in that lumbar area where yeah. when you are falling back away from the target like this. And, and for those watching, you see the picture of Will, and I've posted yeah. this a couple of times, um, um, that there's a lot of pressure being put there on that lumbar spine. So, Eventually, he uh, he had to do something about it, which is unfortunate, right? Because this is a young man, mm-hmm. and there, you know, and th- these are some things that are happening. The other thing that that I think has encouraged some of this with the driver, and particularly, is our launch monitors and the attack angle and understanding yep. that, you know, we got to hit up on it a little bit more. So, how do we hit up? Well, you're seeing it, right? Here's a picture of one of the ways that you can do that. So. Um, so it's a, it's a sensitive, it's a really sensitive thing. Um, and I think when, when you have players of the caliber of Wills Outdoors, of the age of Wills Taurus, um, you know, that's, uh, kind of why I think in many ways we're, we're doing a podcast right now because, um, a lot of people are looking up to Wills Outdoors. A lot of people are encouraging more speed. And so you have to be careful, uh, I think in the way that you're doing that. And I think one of the pitfalls. And I feel very comfortable here is, is this amount of side bend yep. to the right, your hips being that far lateral and pushed out towards the target and you falling back away from the target with your upper body. And then you do that at high speeds and you do that over and over again. Well, that's, that's going to be a concern. Okay. Now let's, let's go to this one. Cause I'm really curious to get your thoughts on this one, because I'll, I'll, I'll set the stage on what I see. And you tell me if I'm right or wrong. When I look at Neiman, and I've had I've had a couple conversations with some people and on uh, social media about this, um, you know, similar setup, right? You know, a little side bend to the right, and then you look at Will, uh, big turn to the top. But when you look at him come down, and, and you kind of stop right there. You know, at first glance, you'd think, well, there's there's a lot of similarities there to to what we saw with Will. But the reality is, I, I think when you look at Neiman, he, he's not falling is far back away from the target with the spine. His hips, at least in my eyes are more underneath him. Like his hips haven't ran lateral. Um, as much as wills did right. That let's say the decision, this is sort of the separation there of his hips and his, and his spine is his hips are more underneath him. His left hip is like turned back inside his left heel where will his left hip was kind of more out over his left heel. So, there's a little less of that. But with with, with Neiman, it's almost like he's, he's really, you know, down towards the ball. Like the right shoulder is very low down towards the ball. The right elbow is bent at impact. He's almost like going down and trying to take a bite out of the ball with his mouth. <laughs> you know, it's that low. So, yes, some similarities, but there really are some differences in this swing. Is that accurate?
1: Absolutely right. I mean, I think, uh, again, to provide that kind of context in some ways there, Travis. So this is where um, I remember a very famous guy, um, I I was actually a very good player on the PGA Tour, a discussion I had with a player in boys golf for home back in England some time ago, I, you know, moved in a kind of similar way to these guys. And I kind of spoke about, well, maybe you look at history as I, you know, history leaves all the clues if you look close enough. It kind of leaves the answer history if you kind of look at it close enough. Maybe, excuse me, sorry, Travis. maybe moving mm-hmm. that perhaps the kind of best way of moving. And this guy goes, Mark, I really don't give a damn. I'm going to be playing golf for five years, make a ton of cash and go home. <laughs> uh, okay. That, that was a tough discussion. He had no aspiration to play past 30. Mm. Um, that fixed. he's he going to play for 10 years, make a ton of money and go home. I don't care. I was like, okay. So that's the discussion you have with some of these guys. That they don't really give a damn because they get paid so much money these days from day one. They don't need to do like mm. foul. The Mormons, the Sevys, those guys that had to play, perform for 30 years because of where golf is at financially currently. And I think also some of the context behind this also comes back to some of the 3D systems we now use. That when you start looking, say, at systems that just measure the, the, the orientation, just the, the rotational values these players produce, what it doesn't acknowledge is what you say about Zalatoris and also with Wacky Neiman here is the position of those segments. So, what the spine likes. Um, the spine loves kind of being stacked on top of each other. So you look at it again, just anatomically, the the lumbar spine, the thoracic spine, the cervical spine, and then equally so the pelvis, the thorax, and then they like being stacked on top of each other. What they dislike is when you've almost got a segment, I can use my fingers this way, you've almost got a a segment going one way and then a segment going the other direction. So you get these internal pressure um, conflicts. You've got pressure kind of being shifted one way, You've got pressure being kind of moved and propagated through the body in other directions. So these kind of these internal pressure, these waves that propagate through our body, really create these tremendous shearings through the spine, these 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 torsions through the spine. When you've got segments going one way, Xalataurus is probably a nicer example of that how far Lucy's been, how far back the head and the rib cage are relative to say how far forwards the pelvis are. So what you also have are these positional imbalances with these rotational um, compressions, these lateral bends, these torsions, which the spine just simply can't absorb. So you look at, I mean, the average spine can absorb about about 2,000 pounds of pressure, typically. So it can <clears> really impose <throat> a lot of force, the average spine. But it's done over high volume, high frequency, in different directions, conflicts to what it likes doing. So, for example, you look at someone like Wacky Nieman here. Now, he may be that guy, Travis, who said at the start of this, our discussion today that is just not that sensitive to this movement. It's very tolerant to that movement. It's also very resilient. He may have just chose his parents very well. I'll have you kind know, of you and you, please. And you've made someone that can really tolerate this movement nicely. But when you look at history, historically, people that have moved their sp- this spine this way, this may not be him, and I hope for him it's not, yeah, have, have experienced problems because it just doesn't like that amount of lateral bend, that amount of torsion. And I think also it comes back to when we start having a discussion around, say, separation, around some of the kind of pelvis and thorax separation um again this goes back to a a generation some time ago now the idea of the x factor which again no one's dismissing the importance of the x factor right Mm -hmm. true separation anatomically actually happens at the diaphragm so if you can kind of look at me here the diaphragm around about kind of here about kind of you know t6 to t8 on the spine so when you look at say true separation it's much more pelvis lumbar spine lower thorax relative to the upper thorax. How well can you separate above and below the diaphragm? Mm. So I've been exposed to this where people have actively tried to encourage these tremendous separations from the pelvis to, to the lumbar spine to the thorax because that's how they perceive that separation to happen. You look at say the gait cycle or walking cycle it really displays it so evidently well. When we walk, you can see the separation happening at the diaphragm. That's mm. the true X factor. How well can you separate above and below the diaphragm, not the pelvis from the thorax? Why is that also, I think, had so much attention? Because yeah. Because all these commercial 3D systems measure the pelvis against the thorax. Mm. The measure is the lumbar spine pelvis relative to the upper thorax. So you've then got, again, some of these coaching concepts, which have been, we've all been exposed to, changes in equipment, uh, measurement systems, beliefs. Um, um, even ego gets in the way with some of these players in, the, in the case of the guy that told me he doesn't want to play past the age of 30 because he's going to mm-hmm. make a ton of money and do you know what he did but he's still playing past the age of 30 he's probably matured a bit since then and then all these things around anatomy that some guys can tolerate these movements and I hope for Neiman's case he absolutely can but unfortunately most people can and that's when you know, I think you're now starting to see this that you get it a lot say with guys on mats to give you another good example here Travis, that, you know, um, guys that get wrist pain and they go, oh, it's playing for mats, rubbish. Um, all the mat does, all the surface does, it either accelerates or decelerates the problem. Most mm-hmm. PGA4 players that have wrist pain never hit off mats, they hit off grass every day. So what the surface does, it either uh, either kind of delays the issue or accelerates the issue. And I think you'll start finding that some of these guys and players players, um, you know, this generation are moving through these ranges. It will, it will happen maybe at some point May not be today. It may go back to what we said at the very start. Pain's a five-year cycle. Let's see where these guys, and that's always my approach to all these players that take these approaches you often see. Let's just see where we're at in five years' time.
0: Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, and look at this here. You can see, you know, from another view here. I mean, look at that right elbow down, that right wrist yeah. bent. I mean, like that elbow wrist. I mean, the wrist we know is bent, but the elbow, that bent, and then that amount of bending right as you're saying kind of down towards the ball not necessarily away from the ball with will but that bending kind of crunching down in time let's see where that's that's going to be that kind of contortion uh if you will And, and and another guy um that kind of captured everybody's mind uh was was sam bennett and i think i have hold on here a second as this plays through Um, and that's, well, that's Neiman there. I think that, yeah. So Bennett, Bennett does a similar thing, right? Right. That is Bennett right there. I'm sorry. So I thought that was Neiman from target line. So there's Neiman from face on. This is Sam Bennett here. Um, and you can see a similar, you know, kind of move right there, right? Kind of down contortioning. Look at that curve down towards the ball. Like I said, almost like trying to take a bite out of the ball versus with Will, it was, you know, I'll bring will back in here with will. it's it's bending kind of more away from the ball, right? Because his hips are more lateral. But either way, this kind of contortion and this kind of pressure uh, is 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 not ideal, let's just say, long term for the average human being. However, there are exceptions, right in in the history of the parents and how the body can move that there's potential that A player like a Sam Bennett, a player like a Joaquin Neiman, might get away from it, right? Might get away with it versus someone who may not historically, depending upon their history, their parents, and their lack of movement.
1: I think you look at, you said such a good word there, Travis, exception. I always kind of say that they're they're exception for a reason because they're exceptional, which is why they became an exception. Okay. Um, exceptional people, which is why they are exceptions of what they do. And I think the other thing which has been um, uh, not kind of badly um, described by some that, uh, oh, they're such good athletes these days. For most players, they're actually not as good athletes as, say, guys in the the kind of Nicholas, in the the kind of Ben Hogan generation. You actually look at the idea of training. I mean, the idea of having to train is just ridiculous. We train because we don't move anymore. That's why we have to actually go and exercise these days, because what we just simply don't do. You look at the guy, you look at the, that generation way back when they were powerful, good athletes. Why? Because that was life back in that generation. Because of um, the way life is currently, we have to go to a gym um, to exercise, which in, in itself kind of tells us a story because of what we don't do. So these guys may be explosive in some areas, but I think we'd have a very, very different generation a different definition side of what I would define a good move and a good athlete would be to say what what maybe the commercial kind of gym view would be, what a good athlete is these days. So I think you've also got that, that these guys may look aesthetically like they're good athletes. You kind of see them training. Um I, I have a young lad at home. Um This guy is He's 16, he's in one of the national programs at home, and he can cruise. I mean, this guy cruises with a seven iron at 106 miles an hour. That's him just kind of flipping it. <laughs> and uh, he goes, oh, I can go fast if you want. I said, it's okay, you're, you're good. And he's <laughs> a beautiful move. He does nothing like the videos you shared on here. Um, but his dad's a farmer, and he, he works on the farm with his dad every day. That's an athlete to me. He, he kind of he literally does, he's a manual farmer, and he's a young yeah. lad, and uh, he's actually starting to perform extremely well. That's an athlete, not a guy that has to go to a commercial gym because he hasn't moved in 15, 20 years, for example. So we have kind of different de- definitions of what kind of movers and athletes are. Mm-hmm. Now, I also don't think you've got, as you say, with the introduction of launch monitors, which are brilliant. I have one, I use one. But, but again, we've got to look at the context again. That What the launch monitor doesn't tell us is what the player did to produce that value. It would tell us, OK, we've got to hit up on the ball, yes. But if you looked at why, are they, why are they produced the value they're producing, It's been lost again. A lot of guys, we need to do X. Yes, but you haven't told us why they need to do it. And there's many, many ways of producing an upward uh, attack angle without having to do what um, some of the guys you've shown in these images today are having to do. So I think we've got to get back to that. It's understanding Mm -hmm. what has the player done to produce that value and why why are they really – it's like saying, you know, in in a very fun, humorous way, it's like saying weight loss. You know, losing weight's not the issue. What we need to establish is why they first gain weight. So if you can start to look at the mechanism, why they felt a need to gain weight, they'll understand why they gain weight. Just saying that someone lose weight really doesn't tell us a great deal. And it's a bit like this, say, with some of the, the launch model stuff. You've got to look at what they've done historically to produce that value, to so understand why they produce the value to produce, not saying they have got help on the ball well. It doesn't really help that. So I think what you're then starting to find is guys are learning to move and are starting to adapt how they move and then start to um, develop these movements you've shown so well with these illustrations you shared today because they haven't really established why. What's the real history, the context, the intellect? Now, that's what we've got to get back to. We, we, we've all, I think goals are the stage now of almost of intellectual failure. We've got to get back to now to some intellectual accuracy around how we move and develop these players and rather than just say, well, the club's moving great because launch monitor says so. Um, <clears throat> they're clearly doing a good job because their club speed's gone up. Um, Let's just see where we're out in five years' time would be my approach. And I think what we may now be seeing, again. I don't know, we're now seeing more and more players that are now, again, at, at very young ages. Um, they haven't got volume in their system yet. They haven't got the work in their system yet, um, which is why um, they're now being exposed to these issues you've, you've, kind of, you've, you've kind of highlighted so well today at such a young age now. Yeah. And um, I think we just got to get back to that, that intellectual activity. Everyone needs to breathe and slow down and actually look at what's happening
0: well yeah, it's fascinating it's a uh, really really interesting discussion I think in um, in today's game and, and unfortunately I think will's injury and now surgery the micro dissectomy um, has uh, you know has kind of pushed it even further forward uh, as an example of a young man who um, has to work himself back now, and, and 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 I think for all intents and purposes, he's gonna to have to change his swing. I mean, I just look, I, I, you know, I think this, this side bend to the right, and then you know, now taking some of that out and trying to have less of that that's that's gonna be that's gonna be a tough go, um, for him. So, uh, I think, but
1: anyway, sorry, sorry, Travis, to jump in. Sorry, yeah, apologies. Go ahead. I think thing which is very important to understand here is that when you look at anatomically looking at just at the biomechanics of the spine that when we go into excuse me apologies when we go into forward flexions we bend into our start position to produce rotation the spine has to laterally bend so for us to kind of produce rotation sorry put my hand in the can Mm -hmm. this is my spine for example for me to kind of rotate the spine in my kind of my start position intrinsically the spine is actually moving through lateral flexion to produce what we see visually as uh, A rotation is always very much down to when you bend into flexion, the facet joint position changes, the muscular systems we use change. So the spine produces rotation very differently than what what it would be, for example, in upright standing. So, again, I think in my experience of being around players and also, again, players that now, or um, some people that kind of looked at 3D data in particular, they see these lateral bend in the plots. Oh, yeah, the spine has to laterally bend. The spine anatomically has to laterally bend. To produce rotation, what's been lost also is it's about having those those um, those those very balanced alignments. That um, what the spine dislikes anatomically is when there's a dominance in one direction. For example, there's more extension in the spine relative to lateral flexion and rotation, or vice versa. There's more lateral flexion in the spine relative to extension, rotation, and so on. And that's often where I think some of the, the, the use of 3D systems being unhelpful for that guys, and oh, the spine laterally bends, but well, it has to because of the anatomy of the spine. But it's it's ensuring that there's equal amounts of lateral bend to the idea of flexion and extension as it rotates. And then really make sure the force that the spine's been absorbed to are sustainable. They're being absorbed almost through the spine, not kind of across the spine. So that's another area, which I think we got to kind of, um, is maybe being kind of um, not as so much lost, but maybe kind of not looked at in, the, in, in perhaps the, the detail as alongside really ensuring in cases out of Taurus, may, maybe as example, that how well those segments stack, the pelvis, the thorax and the head, not one going one way, one going yeah. the other way, fortunately uh, for some can be problematic.
0: Yeah. Well, I think he's going to have to get him stacked up a little more.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I just hope for him he gets back. I mean, he's such a wonderful player, and a yeah. guy very well played against him in the Walker Cup in 2017. Said he was a delight, great kid, yeah. outstanding player. I mean, in, I mean, it, he could have won multiple majors even last year. I mean, um, at the PGA yeah. and also yeah. Masters, clearly a great player. So I for one wish him nothing but success. And um, yeah. and I think golf needs people like him. Absolutely, absolutely. He's he's a
0: wonderful guy, um, and just an exceptional player, ball striker. And so there, there's, there's a, there's a, um, there's a journey back. And um, I know he's got some smart people on his team uh, with, with uh, Josh Gregory and Troy Denton. And then um, I think Dr. Greg Rose is kind of helping him. So there'll, there'll be a journey back that will be well calculated. And, and I think it's fair to say getting the, the spine a little bit more stacked up. I know you're busy, man. Um, but I, uh, I, I really appreciate your time. This was fascinating stuff. and, if you're up to it, uh, you know, later on, um, let's let's do it again.
1: I've been absolutely pleasure. I think I think the final thing maybe is a place to finish on today that yeah. often it becomes a pain, is until it goes wrong, often people refuse to accept it's an issue. Now, not saying that's the case Alex Ross anyway, but most people that i meet until it actually becomes an issue, they refuse to acknowledge it is an issue. So sometimes mm-hmm. it has to wait for people to listen, which is a real sad place to be in life.
0: I think that's a very I think that's a very accurate statement. So all right, Mark Bull, go check him out at Bull3D Academy, Twitter and Instagram. Appreciate your time, man.
1: My pleasure. Have a good day. Thanks again, Travis. You too. Thank you.